1: to make people feel that they're the reason that they're in debt because they're bad with money is gaslighting because it completely ignores the surrounding circumstances as to why someone might be in debt. Hello, and welcome to Run Your Money. Today on the show, we're talking about spooky things Dave Ramsey tells you to do with your money. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and personal finance consultant. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to be here today. And if you're listening to this on or around the time that I release this episode, Happy Halloween, hence the title of this episode. But if you're listening to this episode way down the line, it's totally fine. This episode applies really, I think, whenever you're listening. The thing is about a money podcast is that things are always changing. In the coming weeks, I'm doing some episodes on renting versus buying. And those episodes will probably only be relevant for a few months, maybe at most a year, but really it just depends on what the market does. So those kinds of episodes will have less relevance the further out we get from those publication dates. But an episode like this will be highly applicable, I think, to really whenever you are listening. I'm not going to get too much into the background of Dave Ramsey, but I will just say this. He is one of the most well-known, I would probably say household name for personal finance. The only person who I think rivals this would be Susie Orman. Dave Ramsey is like the financial version of a Fox correspondent or talk show radio host. And regardless of his problematic political views, regardless of the issues that happen inside his company, Dave Ramsey's financial advice is just bad. And that's really what I'm going to focus on in today's episode. That's not to belittle or minimize the other problems with Dave Ramsey. I'm just not really getting into that. Today, what I want to focus on is debunking some of his most common teachings that are just everywhere. Even if you've never bought a Dave Ramsey product or read one of his books or listened to his shows, there's a really good chance that you've been exposed to his advice because it's just that out there. It's one of those things where the advice is so far removed from Dave Ramsey himself that you don't even know that he was the originator of the idea. If you've ever taken a personal finance class through high school or community college or a church, there's a really good chance that his teaching is the basis of that curriculum. The amount of clients that I've had to de ramsify is staggering. And look, I strongly believe that there is more than one road to Rome. I think that there are many ways that you can create a money system and find prosperity in a way that works for you that may or may not work for me or someone else. And that's going to all be based on personal experience, personal history, also preferences, values, things like that. That's just something that I really strongly hold on to. That being said, I will very strongly stand up and speak when I think the advice is harmful, counterproductive, and especially if I think that it's gaslighting. In this episode, I'm gonna take you through four of his most prolific pieces of advice that are just everywhere. And again, if you're following this, you might've heard it directly from Dave Ramsey himself, or it might, again, just be one of those things that you've picked up on by talking to other people about finances, money, etc. The first thing I wanna talk about is Dave Ramsey's negative feeling towards debt. If you are in debt right now, or if you have been in debt before, I just wanna say from the top, that debt is not a moral issue. It doesn't make you right or wrong, good or bad. If you have been in debt or are in debt right now, it doesn't make you a sucker or dumb or ignorant or bad with money or whatever the things are that Dave Ramsey says. He uses a lot of shame when he talks about debt. And I think that is really horrible. But what really gets me is that A lot of people are in debt for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes, yes, debt can be very strategic and a lot of very rich people will actually use debt to avoid taxes, to grow their wealth, to leverage their money so that they can build more wealth, etc. I'm not saying these things are right or wrong, good or bad, or you should be doing it. All I'm saying is that a lot of rich people who are hiring people who are smart with money will often advise to use debt to, again, maximize, optimize their money. So just to put a blanket like statement that debt is wrong, debt is bad, debt is a moral issue, is just unequivocally false. I'm fairly certain that any rich person you know probably has some sort of debt, and at the very least, they likely have a mortgage. So let's say that you're in debt and it's not necessarily a strategic move, but you are in debt because of overspending, poor financial habits, poor financial planning, or perhaps you're in debt because of an unavoidable situation. You have a low paying job, things are really expensive, and or you found yourself in some sort of an emergency like losing a job, medical emergency, et cetera. To make people feel that they're the reason that they're in debt because they're bad with money or because they're dumb or they're irresponsible or whatever, that to me is so gaslighting because it completely ignores the surrounding circumstances as to why someone might be in debt. And a lot of times those circumstances are things far beyond control. I'm not going to go too much into a history lesson right now, but I will just say ever since Reaganomics, the whole trickle down theory, I think it's pretty well understood that trickle down economics did not work. And Just so you know what trickle-down economics is, it's basically giving tax breaks to corporations and to the very wealthy because then they will have more money to hire more and employ more people and then like the money will then quote-unquote trickle down. That's where the term trickle-down economics comes from. This is a Reaganomics thing. A lot of people bought into it and that's been the hallmark of our economy since the 1980s and it just hasn't worked. A lot of corporations and rich people can avoid a lot of taxes and or just have low tax rates in general because they don't necessarily take salaries. They have most of their money through capital gains, which is a far lower tax rate. Anyways, I'm going a little bit on a tangent, but all that to say is that that has stagnated wage growth and things have continued to get more expensive. Wealth has been increasingly concentrated in the top, not just 1%, but really top 0.1%. All of this has just made things really hard and really expensive. Even if you're just solidly in the middle class and you're making a comfortable salary, it's not as comfortable as it used to be. Only a generation or so ago in America, a family of four could do very well on one income. And that's just not the case anymore, unless that one income is a very, very high income. And I would say, like, of at least 200, 250. And that really just depends where you are, because that's not really going to get you very far in a place like San Francisco. But if you live in like, I don't know, Atlanta, that might be a really great income for one family. Anyways, all that to say is that there are a lot of reasons outside of people's control as to why they might find themselves in debt. And even if it is because of, quote unquote, bad behavior, and I'm putting that in air quotes because I don't really like to think of things as good or bad, et cetera. But just for the sake of what I'm talking about, we'll put it in quotes here. Even if that is the case, there still probably are other circumstances that led to, quote unquote, some of that bad behavior. His words and the way that he talks about debt can feel very shaming. And when you feel shame, when you feel like something's your fault, when you feel like you're bad at something, like bad with money, then it makes it really, really hard to do better or shift your thinking or to see yourself in a different way. Imagine if I was sitting here on the mic saying, gosh, why are you guys so shitty with money? You have to listen to my podcast because y'all are just so bad with money. Look, I don't think that at all, but I'm just saying, like, imagine if that was the tone. Now, some of you might just be like, screw that and turn the episode off, which I wouldn't blame you. But other people, especially if you are feeling a little vulnerable about your financial situation, whether emotionally or your financial situation truly is vulnerable you might actually be more likely to play into the emotional manipulation that kind of language is perpetuating. And that actually, in my opinion, keeps you more stuck. It is a lot more difficult to make different decisions. We can call them better decisions if you want. It is a lot harder to make different decisions when you are just piling on yourself. Like, I'm so bad. How could I do this to myself? I'm so ashamed by my debt. Again, even if it's all credit card debt, and even if it was all just mindless spending or reckless spending or whatever, that shame doesn't actually help you change anything. This tone of shame around your debt and it being a moral issue, at best, it's just simply unhelpful. And at worst, it's just straight up gaslighting. And either way, none of that is helpful to help you change your financial situation. Are you at that point in midlife when you're realizing that what you thought would make you happy really doesn't? I'm Erin Keating, host of the podcast Hotter Than Ever. At 50, I left my marriage, got laid off from my fancy TV job, and started over. I dated a ton of guys, had a lot of sex, found edibles, and I started to feel like myself again. On Hotter Than Ever, we explore the unwritten rules we've been following, and we break those rules to be freer, happier, and more self-expressed. Follow the show right now, join me every Thursday, and we can be hot together. The second thing Dave Ramsey tells his listeners to do is to pause retirement if you have debt. And in almost all cases, this is terrible advice. And the reason why it's terrible advice is because it can literally cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm not exaggerating. Starting to save for retirement is one of the best gifts you can give your future self. And that's because of the power of compounding interest. Here's why I think this advice can be so tempting. One is because if you've already been told debt makes you bad or wrong or whatever, then you can easily get fooled by how slow compounding interest is at first. Here's what I mean. If you start investing in your retirement account and you invest for 10 years and you're putting $500 a month in your account. Now I'm not gonna give you too many numbers here, but I do just wanna give you some so you can really start to think about this. After 10 years, $500 a month, you would have about $86,000 in that investment account. And you might think like, my gosh, I've been doing this for 10 years and 86,000, that's great. That's a lot of money, but I'm not retiring on that. I could see how one could be easily persuaded by Dave Ramsey to just forget retirement for a minute and focus on this debt because debt is bad. But get this, if you were to keep putting $500 a month into this investment account for another 10 years, so that'd be a total of 20 years, that amount would jump up to $255,000, meaning that $83,000 tripled in the next 10 years. And that's what compounding interest does. It is a slow, almost painfully slow burn at first. And this is why I think a lot of people in their 20s and maybe even early 30s are like, good grief, I have been putting a lot of money and it's hard to put $500 a month away. I'd rather live life now or pay off this debt or do this or do that with the money. And I totally hear you. However, when it comes to investing and especially with saving for retirement, time matters more than anything else. Obviously, you would have more money if you were putting $800 a month into your investment accounts rather than $500. But the longer you invest, the less money per month you actually need to put away because compounding interest just starts to operate really, 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 really fast. So after 10 years, to remind you, we have $86,000 after $500 a month. After 20 years, we have $255,000 in that investment account. And then after 30 years, you have $588,000 in your investment account. Meaning between year 20 and year 30, your money doubled again. And this is what compounding interest does. When the number is pretty small in your investment account, the number's still doubling. But when you're doubling from $15,000 to $30,000, it's like Woohoo! That's great, but not retiring off of that. But once your numbers start doubling from 150,000 to 300,000, 300,000 to 600,000, it builds so so fast. Now let's say you're like, well, let me just take off five years from saving for retirement so that I can pay off this mortgage or whatever other kind of debt you have. Just putting it off by five years, you would have just under 394,000 dollars. And that investment account. And again, to remind you, if you do the full 30 years, you would have $588,000. That's an almost $200,000 difference. Putting off retirement to pay down a debt is absolutely terrible advice. There's really only one exception to this rule, and that is if you have credit card debt or any other kind of debt with a very high interest rate that is over about that 7 to 10% range. The reason for that 7 to 10% is because if you are investing in index funds that track the S&P 500 and other indexes like that, you can expect to get about a 7 to 10% average rate of return.
0: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B.
1: Higher than that, then your money's probably not going to do better in the stock market. So yes, in those cases, it would be better to pay down that debt as quickly as you can. But if you have debt that is in that seven to 10% range is a little bit gray area, but certainly below that 7% range, it is costing you money to pay off that debt faster than you need to. Here's one thing I want to add to this. If you have a 401k through work and there's a company match, then I would actually prioritize that over paying off a credit card. And that's because a match is free money. So let's say you have a salary of $80,000 and you have a 5% match. If you put $4,000 into your 401k every year, then your work is going to give you $4,000 into your 401k. That automatically bumps your salary up to $84,000. It's free money and under no circumstances can you say no to that. And again, I would say that's true even if you have credit card debt. So the order is get the match, pay off high interest debt like credit card debt, and then just pay off everything else with the minimum payments and get investing as quickly as you possibly can. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Veronica. Did you know I work with clients privately to help them make over their finances from top to bottom? Over six weeks, we start with your money goals and then I help you create a plan to pay off debt if you have, and then find a perfect balance between saving and investing while also enjoying life now. Pennies aren't meant to be pinched, but they are meant to have a purpose. By creating a plan and being intentional with your money, I'll bet you can afford a lot more in your life than you think you can now while also securing your financial future. Learn more and book your Run Your Money Roadmap with me over at veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me. Now back to the show. Here's a third spooky piece of advice that Dave Ramsey gives, and that is his method of paying off debt. His method of paying off debt is called the snowball method. The snowball method tells you to pay the minimum payments for all of your debts and then take the smallest debt you have and put extra money towards that debt until it's fully paid off. And then all the money that was going towards that smallest debt, you go to the next smallest debt and you put all the money into that debt and then you pay that off. And then you take all that money if you still have a third debt and you pay off that debt, et cetera. Hence the name of the snowball. The problem with this method is that it doesn't take into account Interest rates. Let's say you've had a car for a few years and you've been paying it off, and you have about $5,000 left on the car loan and it's at 5% interest. It's a little high, but it's not egregious. On the other hand, let's say you have $15,000 of credit card debt at 20%. According to the snowball method, you should pay off that $5,000 at 5% interest first and then put all of the money towards that $15,000 debt. At 20% interest. And this makes, according to the math, zero sense because that 20% interest rate is expensive. And that really begins to add up on already quite a large debt. Now, to be fair, I do understand the psychology of just getting one debt off the books, especially if you feel very overwhelmed and you have a credit card here and another debt here and something else here. I understand how it can just be helpful to be like, you know what? This is low interest, but it's only $500 and I just want to get off the books. I understand the psychology. And if you know that will give you the motivation to be excited, to take control of your money and your finances, et cetera, then by all means, I just think it's important for you to know that it's not necessarily the cheapest way to pay off debt. The cheapest way is called the avalanche method, and the way that works is that you just pay your debts off in the order of interest rate, starting with the highest first, working to the lowest. So this will almost always be prioritizing credit card debt. Credit card interest rates tend to be at least 20%, sometimes far more. Sometimes you can get lucky and they're less than that. But most of the time, this will be a debt that you want to get off the books as quickly as possible, regardless of the overall debt size, because the interest is just so high. So you pay that debt off first, and then you move to the next highest interest rate, the next highest interest rate, and so on until you've paid off the debts. I just want to add here, and I will probably do another episode about this. If you have a mortgage from before the past couple of years or so, you probably have a really low interest rate. Your interest rate is probably less than 5%. And in some cases, especially if you have good credit, it might be lower than 3%. If that's you, I wouldn't even put extra money towards it. It makes zero sense because you can do far, far better in the stock market. I'm not going to do the numbers now because I've already been a little number heavy and I'm trying not to do that too much in the episodes. But I just want you to think about how you can make the most of your money and you can put your money towards paying off something that is costing you 2%, or you can put your money into something that is earning you 7% to 10%. The math is just very, very simple. So in almost all cases, I don't understand wanting to pay your mortgage off as quickly as possible, especially going back to point two, if it means that you are going to put off retirement. Because again, time is more important than anything. All right, we are getting to the fourth spooky piece of advice from Dave Ramsey, and that is his aversion towards credit cards. Now, I understand where this comes from. Not that I agree with it, but I understand he is totally spooked out by all kinds of debt, so I can understand why he's like, brah, credit card's bad. Look, credit card debt is not ideal. It's not a great place to be in. And I understand some people wind up in credit card debt for reasons far beyond their control, as I talked about earlier on in the episode. So I'm not trying to shame you or telling you that you're wrong or dumb or bad or whatever. It's just generally not an ideal place to be because again, the interest rates are so incredibly high and it just really can eat into your money and take you away from saving for retirement, living your life now, possibly paying other debts, getting a house, things like that. So it's really not an ideal place to be, but it's a little bit like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because credit cards are actually a really important tool to optimizing your finances. So here's just a few things that credit cards do. One is that they offer more protections than debit cards and certainly more protections than cash. If you lose your cash, you're just out of luck. If you lose your credit card and worst case, someone takes your credit card and starts using it, your bank will shut your credit card down, they will refund you the money, and you won't be responsible. Now, banks are getting on board with their debit card use and are starting to offer some of these protections, but usually it's a slower process. The money literally does come out of your account, which is very scary. And not all debit cards are created equal, so you won't necessarily get the money back, the way you would definitely get the money back for credit card fraud. The other thing about credit cards is that you just get points and miles, and that's fun. If it's money that you're already going to spend, like gas, groceries, et cetera, why not get a little bit of cash back or get some miles and take a free vacation? Also, credit cards offer tons of perks, and these vary widely based on the credit card that you use. You can get free access to lounges in airports across the world, You can get insurance when you rent cars. You can even get warranties when you buy electronics. And none of these things are things that you have to pay for other than the annual fee. On Friday's episode, I'm going to talk about how to shop for a credit card. So if you're like, dang, I want some of these perks, make sure you listen to that episode coming out Friday. Aside from the perks of using a credit card, they're actually really important for your finances. And here's why credit card is one of the primary ways that you build credit. And actually next week on the show, I have TikTok star Mortgage Mandy coming and she is going to talk all about how to buy a house and the whole home loan process. And she talks a lot about on her TikTok page, how important credit card use and just having a credit score is to getting the lowest possible interest rate on your mortgage. And when we're talking about a mortgage, just a one point difference on your interest rate can be the difference of tens of thousands of dollars. Here's how I use my credit card to one, build my credit, and then also optimize my finances. I put everything I possibly can on my credit card. I pay our mortgage. I can't put that. I was paying a car loan. I paid it off. Can't put that on my credit card. And previously, I had a student loan. Couldn't put that on my credit card. But Just about everything else I put on my credit card. And in fact, if I was going to dinner with friends and we were all going to put it on one credit card, I would always want to put it on my card and then have people pay me back so I could get the free points and cash back. Anyways, I would put everything on my credit card that was within my budget. And at the end of the month, I would get that bill. And the end of the following month is when I would pay that bill for that previous month's worth of charges. Now, I was budgeting my money, so I knew exactly how much I had to spend in the various categories of my life, so I wasn't acquiring debt or paying for things that I couldn't afford. When you use your credit card, you get your bill at the end of that billing period, and then 30 days after that, you pay that bill, you don't owe any interest on those expenses. So if a coffee costs $5, I'm paying $5 on my credit card. Now, if I didn't pay that bill, yeah, that $5 coffee would end up being $7 and $8 and $9 (laughs) the longer I let that credit card debt accumulate. Your credit card certainly isn't the only thing determining your credit score, but it certainly is a big part of it. And if you got your first credit card when you were either a teenager or your early to mid-20s or so, it's probably your longest source of credit history. And that is a significant part of your credit score. And look, I'll be the first to say that the whole credit industry is a complete scam. (laughs) I'm not here saying that you got to play this game because everyone should love the credit industry and they are just a bunch of angels and unicorns pooping glitter. I hate the credit industry. I think it's a huge scam. When you pay off a debt, did you know that your credit score actually takes a hit? Isn't it a good thing that you pay off a debt? Yeah, it is a good thing. However, the way that the scores are weighted, I'm not going to get into it right now, your credit score does take a temporary dip, which is just total BS in my mind. That being said, it is too expensive to not have credit. I have these numbers in my head actually because I just did a TikTok video about this, but this blows my mind. So if you get a mortgage right now, and unfortunately mortgage rates are pretty high, but Let's say you take out a $300,000 mortgage at 7.7%, which unfortunately is kind of average right now. You are going to end up paying about $2,600 a month on that mortgage for 30 years. Now, let's say you don't have credit or your credit's not great or whatever, and your loan officer gives you one point higher on your mortgage interest rate at 8.8%. Just that one point, you're going to pay $200 more per month on your mortgage. And you might think, eh, $200, whatever, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Well, after 30 years of paying $200 more, that ends up being $72,000. And if you had invested that in an index fund, getting you a 7% rate of return, that would actually be $252,000 in your investment account. So yes, hate the credit system all you want, I'm with you, Dave Ramsey, I'm with you on that, but it is not a game that you can afford to sit out on unless you already have enough cash in the bank to buy all the cars and the houses that you'll need. So that's it. Obviously, these are not the only four spooky things that Dave Ramsey says. If you follow Dave Ramsey now or used to follow him, I would love to hear from you a spooky piece of advice you learned from him. You can come on over to either my Instagram or my TikTok and DM me or comment on one of my videos and let me know because I would be so curious. Next week, I have Mortgage Mandy on the show. And honestly, it's a really natural step now to go into talking with her about how to buy a house and how to get the best rate. I didn't even mean for it to be that smooth of a transition from this episode to that, but I think it actually is going to be one. So I'm super excited for you to listen to that. And just remember, I am taking clients now. I work with clients over six weeks to help you make over your money top to bottom. So if you're like, all right, I have some debt, or even if you don't, you still want to optimize living life now and saving for medium term, short term things like a vacation or a home remodel or a house, but also saving for your future and investing and all that kind of stuff, then I would love to work with you. You can go to veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me. And that link is also in the show notes to this episode. And I'll see you on Friday with how to pick out a credit card. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Your Money show. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a new episode. And hey, before you leave, can you do me a quick favor? Please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. It takes just a few seconds for you, and it helps me enormously to get this show out in front of more women just like you. Thank you so much. You can find show notes, transcripts, free resources, and info on how to work with me at veronicagrant.com. See you next episode. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?